Good morning, everyone. This is JB with Not By Works Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message. I'm coming to you from my studio beneath the sky, tucked away under the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us. It is Thursday, January the 18th, 2024, and we're so honored to have back on the program uh, Pete Garcia, uh, with uh, Rev 310. Uh, just excited to talk with him, pick his brain a little bit. He has been making the rounds. He's got a lot of travel coming up. I'll introduce him here in just a moment, but uh, really a brilliant uh, guy to kind of get his perspective on things. Uh, we're going to call this political, international, and prophetic hotspots, and just kind of uh, let him share, as we've had other guests on, what, what he sees ahead, uh, not in any type of predictive way or crystal ball, but just uh, you know his educated and studied opinion on how things seem to be coming together uh, in a prophetic way to set the stage for the return of our Lord. But to, as always, before we bring him on, just a couple of housekeeping matters. Uh, it is, of course, Thursday, so we've had uh, a great week already. In fact, someone uh, emailed me, or at least I got the email this morning when I logged on to my computer and said, wow, what a great week. Well, it has been a great week. Uh, Dr. Randall Price kicked us off on Monday with Where is the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, we had our technologist Shane on Tuesday to talk about technological trends. Yesterday was World Events Update with Randy. Uh, of course, today we've got Pete. And then tomorrow, I've got Alex Newman on talking about Schwab, Davos, and the devil. And so uh, we just uh, saw the uh, completion of the annual World Economic Forum meeting this week. Uh, I think it finished uh, yesterday, or maybe it's today. But uh, Alex is going to kind of uh, give us his take on that tomorrow, and who better to do that? Uh, we've got lots of great guests coming up, uh, all of them coming from a, a traditional dispensational pre-tribulational perspective, uh, understanding the plain normal sense of the Word of God and trying to see how, as Jesus uh, told us to look at the signs of the times, how those signs of the times could very well be setting the stage uh, for the consummation of the age. And so we're really excited, uh, thankful to do what we do, thankful for the privilege of serving the Lord, and we always want to get uh, the gospel out. And so we'll do that right here at the beginning, you know, uh, especially with someone with the following and notoriety of Pete Garcia, these podcasts get quite a lot of traction and get spread around and forwarded. And uh, I think Pete, uh, the last time we had Pete on, it was one of our all-time top five most listened to podcasts. And so we know that uh, not everybody who listens is a believer. Uh, people listen for a variety of reasons. Maybe they have Christian friends who suggested they listen to the NBW podcast, but on the off chance that you're listening to this, to this today and you don't know for sure that you're going to spend eternity in heaven, let me tell you right here from the outset, the only thing that matters is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, God's Son and our Savior. He died on the cross and rose again to pay your personal penalty for sin. He is the only hope of forgiveness, the only hope of eternal life. He's the only one you can trust in to deliver what he promised. And he said very plainly in Scripture, whoever believes in me has eternal life, John 6, 47. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So I want to I want to ask you, have there been a time in your life when you've placed your faith solely in Jesus Christ as the only one who can save you, abandoning your trust in yourself, your own good works, your behavior, your heritage, your religion, your background, your baptism, your family, whatever else it might be, only Jesus can save you. And I hope you'll place your faith in him today. And for those of you that know the Lord, you're going to be in for a special blessing today as your faith is strengthened, uh, hearing our friend Pete uh, talk about all that's going on in this world. I was in Proverbs 18 this morning for my devotion, and Proverbs 18, verse 10, is a great reminder. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Uh, you know, it, it's funny what people put their trust in these days. In fact, the very next verse in Proverbs 18, verse 11, says, the rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own esteem. And uh, a lot of people put their trust in materialistic things, especially these days. Even unbelievers understand that the world is falling apart, and so there are a lot of preppers. I'm a prepper. I hope you are too. The Bible says you should be one. The Bible says the wise man sees trouble coming and prepares for it, but there are a lot of preppers out there who are doing it thinking that somehow they can protect themselves without 
the uh, concomitant faith in our Lord Jesus Christ that should come first and really uh, partner with our own wisdom and preparedness. And so uh, like this strong, well, uh, wealthy man in Proverbs, they think their wealth is their strong city and their high wall to protect them. I hope that's not you because we want to put our faith first and foremost in the Lord and then do the practical things that are necessary to protect against the types of things uh, that are coming. Uh, in Psalm 121, the anonymous uh, psalmist here in one of the ascent psalms that the children of Israel would sing as they went up to Jerusalem, he said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. In the ancient Near East, strength and protection was seen from the perspective of the mountains. That's where the gods were. That was the closest uh, part of earth to the to the sky where the, the ancients uh, kind of viewed uh, through astrology and the stars, their, their fake gods, uh, uh, you know, the, the Greeks, the Romans, the Babylonians, the ancient Near Eastern religions, the mystical religions. And so the psalmist is saying here, I'm looking at the hills and I'm not going to put my faith in them because, you know, they would they would put up their fortresses high up on these hills so they could see the enemy coming. And he says, no, no, my help's going to be in the, the one who made those hills, the Lord himself. And so uh, that's what we're all about here. Uh, I hope you'll take a look at our website, notbyworks.org. Check out all the free resources we have there, audio, video, devotionals, tons of great stuff. You can also, while you're there, uh, poke around on our online store. Just click the store button. We've got some free resources there as well. No credit card needed. Just uh, put them in your cart and we'll email you all uh, those doc documents and other resources. Um, but uh, let's bring on Pete now. You know, uh, Pete, uh, he's a, a retired military combat veteran and aviator, obviously a prolific writer, researcher, speaker, We've had the chance to cross paths at conferences where we've both been on the docket speaking. Loves the Lord. He's a teacher of Bible prophecy and uh, apologetics. Um, and uh, called by the Lord to start writing at age 33. And he wrote for the Omega Letter for many years, but he's got his own website, rev310.net, written hundreds of articles, and uh, just really appreciate his perspective and his gracious attitude. So Pete, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, JB. It's good to be back on with you. All right. So I know you've been probably getting these questions a lot, and you've done some other interviews with some of uh, my friends and colleagues like Lee Brainerd, Tom Hughes, and others. But we want to talk today about some of the hot spots in this world, politically, internationally, prophetically. Uh, let's start with a general question. As you survey the landscape, you know, here we are, 2024, it's an election year, got a lot of unrest in the world. What has your attention, uh, maybe above all else, as you look around the world as a as a hotspot? Well, I, I, I kind of see 2024 as this like crescendo year. This is the year I think a lot of things are really going to kind of come into fruition. Either the, Either they will happen or it will be that this thing falls apart. And I think that 2024 is definitely one of those years that um, things have been building up to this. And obviously for the United States, this is an election year. And so given the dynamics of 2020 and all that, in, you know, until that year with the the riots and COVID and mail-in ballots and the lockdowns and all that, I mean, I think this year has the potential to become, you know, um, even worse or more destabilized than that year. Um and so when we think about it in that terms, it's it's quite unsettling, you know, to to consider that that may be on the near horizon. But um, I guess the two things I, I like and, and, and again, I'm not, uh, you know, I've talked about this on numerous places, but I am not. Um, I like Trump. I, I like his policies better than I like Biden's policies. Um, at the same time, I realize that Trump is not going to fix everything that that ails the United States. I mean, and, and ails the world really, because that that belongs to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, this world is not going to be made right until He returns as the righteous King. So, with that said, I understand that this is a political year, and politics matter because they really um, they govern how we live. And mm -hmm. so. Uh, on one hand, you have um, a lot of Christians that sat out of 2020 in, in previous elections because they think, well, you know, um, Trump 
Trump is a, a mean tweeter and he's got some some dirty baggage on his side and or in his past and um, he is a narcissist and all these other things and and I and I okay I don't I'm not disputing that but at the same time when you look at who do I want to live under let's say the Lord tarries and we're going to be here for a few more years who am I going to have to live under um, for the next couple of years do I want my gas prices to be um, reasonable or below say two dollars and the cost of living the inflation way down and in America um, you know even though it has its issues it's it's you know, at least economically speaking, it's 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 bearable. Or do I want to live in 2023 where uh, inflation is what 18 percent? Uh, the cost of gas they, now they artificially lowered it, um, but you know it was above three dollars for for most of the the first uh, couple of years of Biden's presidency, and we have uh, chaos breaking out around the world um, because of our weak foreign policy. And when you think about um, the GAE or the the Global American Empire, as a lot, some people have uh, termed it, when America is the sole superpower, and we've had that um, moniker put on us since the end of World War II. I mean, there was the Soviet Union, but once the collapse happened in '91, we became it. You know, and and when we refuse to lead, um, that opens all sorts of cans of worms around the world. And if you look at like just say Africa in particular, I mean, there's 30 plus active conflicts there right now. And I included that in my um, 2024, the year in review that I posted in December, um, you know, with a map on there and all the Islamic um, movements like Boko Haram and all those groups coming out and destabilizing their governments. You have the um, juntas and the um, 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 para paramilitaries in Sudan fighting the army, and then you have Ethiopia, you know, their armed forces fighting the Tigray forces, and, and you just have, it's just chaos all throughout Africa, and that's just one continent. I mean, you could move to the Middle East, you can move to Asia, I mean, there's, there is either wars or there's rumors of wars ad nauseum everywhere you turn, and it seems like the world is far in a far more precarious place than it was, um, you know, prior to 2020, so um, we could start anywhere you want, yeah. but uh, those those are <laughs> we have a lot a lot riding this year, and I think this is the year where things are going to start to, you know, ir ir irrevocably go one way or the other. Yeah, well, no, that's 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 a great kind of lead in uh, and kind of introduction to what we want to talk about today. And let's let's start kind of where you did. You didn't take long to get there. You jumped right into the elephant in the room, which I suppose is better than the donkey in the room. And I agree with you there. I think Trump is absolutely, uh, you know, by comparison, in principle anyway, uh, if in fact he, you know, he lives in, in and acts on the platform of the Republican Party, uh, a much, much better choice, no question about it. But, but uh, let's talk about politics for just a second. So, you know, one of the things that concerns me is everybody knows that that 2020 was was rigged and, uh, you know, it was stolen. There's no question. There's empirical facts about it, notwithstanding the mainstream narrative and all the paid off judges that didn't take the cases and ruled against. I get all that. And I I've got friends that are involved in the middle of, of that. Uh, Wendy and I are friends with Jenna Ellis. And she, of course, she was one of Trump's uh, main attorney. So we get it. I, I get that the mainstream narrative is something completely different. But I think anybody that looks at it objectively and analytically knows it was the most rigged election in history. Um, and I might add, you know, I believe, and I've written about this in my books, that the all of the elections have been rigged. This wasn't the first time. But because it was so blatant, it was it really woke a lot of people up to the fact that uh, our elections are not uh, trustworthy in that sense. The question I have for you is, has anything changed? I mean, there was all this hubbub about it, and then it seems like it simmered down. Here we are four years later. All of the conservatives are lining up to go to the polls again. Uh, has anything changed? I mean, there's the old definition of of uh, lunacy is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a, a different result. Can we trust the ballots this time around? Uh, well, I, you know, I, I I guess I have a healthy degree of skepticism going into this coming election cycle. But I think the one difference between now and 2020 is that, you know, the Democrats really showed their hand in 2020 by doing things so blatantly that you had a lot of Republicans, you know, you call them middle of the road or whatever, fence riders or something, 
that 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 couldn't believe couldn't wrap their minds around um the this idea that that four state elections were basically rigged and they had a hard time because they weren't really big fans of trump so they tended to believe the the narrative by fox and some other the, the other mainstream news media's uh, outlets um so i think i think they now see that so i think a lot more eyes have been opened as in terms of um even within the black community and within the you know hispanic whatever are looking at the the uh, way that they are just going after Trump with these really just ridiculous charges. Um, and I think they are, are they're sympathizing with him in a way that I haven't seen them do with any, any other Republican candidate in recent history. So I think in 2020, or excuse me, in 2016, I think Trump got, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm kind of spitballing this, but I think he got somewhere in the neighborhood of eight to 10% of the African-American vote and then in 2020, he got like 16 to 20 percent, or maybe maybe higher. So his his vote uh, rapport, or his rapport with that community, was going up, mm. despite everything they were throwing at him. Because I think they they can see what they're trying to railroad this guy, and that's been you know done to the black community for a long time by law enforcement. And I'm not knocking them; I'm just saying, you talk to to them. One of their biggest issues is is uh being pulled over or being stopped simply because you know from their mindset right. is because they're black yeah. and for them it's a it's a prejudice that exists in certain parts of the united states um whether it's real or not i don't think it's just systemic i don't think it's like that but um it for them it's a big issue right and they're seeing what they're doing to trump and they can see that as plain as day and i think with what's going on now i think that community is definitely leaning heavily towards trump and i think he probably would get you know, let's say the election was tomorrow, he'd probably get upwards of 30 to 40 percent of the African-American vote. So uh, that's definitely got the Democrats scared. And I think the Democrats are really, really frightened right now. They've got, what, three or four different court cases against them. All of, you know, uh, EJ, uh, what's her name? EJ, um, the lady that said Trump raped her back in the 90s. Um, yeah, so I don't really, remember. She's a really... She's a she's really really weird and a crackpot, <laughs> but yeah. the 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 whole case is so just just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but that the Fannie Willis, um, the Jack Smith case, um, and and so all of these on their face, I think, are going to get squashed this year. During the year, we're going to start seeing these things fall apart pretty quickly. And they already are. Yeah. Um, well, but I, with that I hope said, I think. Yeah, I hope you're right. Uh, you know, Pete, we're talking with Pete Garcia, Rev310.net. I love talking about this stuff, so I hope you'll indulge me a little bit longer on on this subject. Um, you know, I I you know, I think first of all, the numbers are what they are. We really have no choice but to deal with the data as it exists, but I don't trust it. So even when we talk about what percentage of what demographic different people get, I mean, the official numbers are Hillary got 3 million more votes than Trump did in 2016. And I don't believe that for a second. So, I mean, we all the numbers are rigged. And that's the problem when you have a system where the vote tabulation machines are digital. Uh, and it's not about China per se. It's the fact that just that they're digital and we live in a fallen and corrupt world. And because they're digital, and there's no physical, tangible provenance and chain of custody of votes. You just, you know, walk in to a booth and then sit back and wait for CNN and Fox News to tell you who won. And you just have to take mm -hmm. the word for it. And, you know, I've been talking about this for 20, almost 20 years now. I've written about it in other books. There's all kinds of documentary evidence, congressional hearings, uh, you know, uh, uh, under oath statements and and so forth that show that these these are not trustworthy so but we have no other option except to deal with the data that that we has however uh, untrustworthy it may be so i agree with you that trump is uh, i think to summarize what i interpret what you just said as saying is that the reason 2024 is different or that we might be more hopeful is because given the fact that that Biden's approval rating is at a historic low and and Trump continues to gain support, uh, it seems less likely that they will be able to pull one over on the American people. Is that is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I, well, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think Trump's numbers are, are continuing to go up. I think these cases against him are going to they're, they're in the process of falling apart now. I think the Supreme Court's going to validate or vindicate him. 
with regards to states being able to pull him off the ballots willy-nilly. Um, they're going to squash that. And so I do see him moving forward as the Republican nominee and presidential candidate for the, you know, for the Republican Party going into 2024. On top of that, I think more people are aware and are cognizant of the um, electoral fraud that went on in 2020. They might have been skeptical then, but now, I mean, the evidence has been been pretty clear going forward. Plus, I don't think Biden is going to be the nominee. I think I think Biden, um, he's he's not allowing by declaring his candidacy to re rerun or to uh, run again. Um, you know, he is able to basically you know, get JFK Jr. kicked off the 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 um, primary. He's able to basically squash the primaries through the Democratic Party. And so I don't think that they're going to have a they're not going to have a primary um any challengers to Biden. And then at some point this summer, I think Biden will have to step down for health reasons. I think, I don't think he's going to be the candidate going into 2024. So well, whoever Trump faces in November will be Newsom or somebody else. It's not going to be Biden. Yeah. Joel Skousen has commented in his world affairs brief that he still thinks there's a uh, strong chance it could end up being somebody like uh, Hillary or Michelle. Uh, who knows? But that's very interesting. You're not alone in in speculating on that. And and obviously, again, to reiterate, uh, neither Pete nor I claim to be a prophet nor the son of a prophet. We're not making predictions. <laughs> We're just giving you our educated opinion. But uh, yeah, I, I I think it'll be interesting uh, to see what happens with Biden. However, if he's not the Democratic nominee. I think it complicates things. Again, I'm speaking as if things were conventional and that we could really count on the vote. I People ask me all the time, do you believe in voting? I want to, again, reiterate, I absolutely believe in voting. We have a moral obligation to vote. We should vote. I just don't believe in pretend voting. Uh, that's kind of where I draw the line. But I'll vote if it's a real vote. I'm just not going to pretend to vote and act like I'm doing something moral when I know and there's incontrovertible evidence that the votes are just completely fabricated. Um, but assuming that somehow we've got such an upper hand this time around that any attempt to claim that Trump didn't win is going to be met with clear and obvious, you know, uh, I, I asked, I had a, a meeting with uh, Rick Santorum one time back in 2016. I had the privilege of meeting with a lot of the Republican candidates and interviewing them. And uh, I asked Rick uh, when he was running for president in 2016, remember he was one of the 17 or so candidates that Trump ended up outlasting that year. Um, I said, given given the fact that, you know, we use digital vote tabulation machines um, and how easy it is to rig votes, how can you assure a conservative like me that if I voted for a conservative candidate like you, my vote would really count? And I expected Rick Santorum to, you know, tote the, the political party line of, oh, our elections are sacrosanct. You can count on it. Don't worry about that. But he looked me right in the eye and he said, that's why we need to win by 10 percent or more. In other words, it was an implicit acknowledgement that the game is rigged. And unless you win in a landslide, like, for example, uh, you know, you you may be too young to remember, but in 1980, when Reagan won, uh, you know, in, a, in an electoral landslide, the worst ever beating Carter, he I think the only state Carter won was District of Columbia. I don't even think he won his home state of Georgia. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Well, if CNN and Fox News had come out and announced that Carter had won, everybody in America would have been looking at each other and go, I didn't vote for him. Did you? Did you? I mean, it would have been obvious that this was a rigged election. And it's kind of what happened in 2020. Uh, so I think, you know, that's what Rick Santorum was saying is that, look, because there's a evil people at play rigging the back back end, we've got to win by such a landslide that nobody would believe it if you claimed the, the other guy won. Uh, but let's go back to Biden and and you in your speculation here what may happen there. Um, a lot of people, uh, including uh, people like Leo Holman and other you know expert journalists um, who I really respect their their you know input on these types of things, are saying that it's very likely that one way or the other, whether Trump wins or the other candidate wins and they steal it or whatever, we're looking at some type of major unrest and major uh, uprising, you know. Uh, 
a, a real one this time, not the, you know, misdemeanor trespassing that they labeled insurrection on January 6th. I'm talking about, you know, a major civil unrest. Uh, do you yeah. see that as possibility? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I wrote that. I wrote about that um, back in December. And then um, on other on other shows I've talked about, I said, um, quoting, you know, myself here, um, if it's a Trump loss, I think that the uh, it, it's going to be obvious that you'll have certain states that will not give you the tally that night. They'll shut down. They'll say something broke. There's a delay. And then the next morning they'll say, oh, we'll call it for Biden or whoever it is. Um, I think it's going to be we're we're wise to that game now. So whatever whatever tomfoolery they're going to try and throw at us, I think that a Trump loss uh, to the Democrat side is going to spark something very significant. I don't, I don't want to say what it, what exactly, but I think it will be significant, um, eclipsing anything we've probably seen in the last 150 years. On the other side, if if it is a Trump victory, I think you could see states that are deep blue, like the West Coast. Um, calling for some kind of secession, saying we don't recognize Trump as our elected leader. And um, they may they may, um, you know, do some shenanigans of, of calling for breaking away or, or something. I don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, we've seen we've seen this happen in the past. And you think about how many celebrities and people have said, if Trump wins, I'm moving to Canada or I'm moving to Australia or Europe or whatever. Um, so how much of that is really bravado or you know, how much of that is really real? How what could they do? But I think you could see West Coast states and, and certain uh, uh, East Coast states and certainly deep blue states um, um, say that we want to break away. And then even within, say, California, for instance, where you have a significant portion of the state by territory is is red conservative because um, you have a lot of people there that 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 aren't liberal, but they don't make up the majority that that fill in these massive urban centers like San Francisco and Los Angeles and San Diego. Um, you know, you could say that there's a, 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 you know, they've had to call to to break away from California and make their own state like Northern California. So I, I think we're going to start seeing that uh, come about if there is a Trump victory. I think That's we're going to start seeing a lot of unrest by the left in ways that will eclipse anything we saw in 2020. That's really interesting. Uh, and and by the way, if, to, if any of those woke leftist progressive celebrities who have said, uh, if Trump wins, we're moving to Canada. If you're listening, listen, you can go ahead and move now. We don't you have our permission. You don't have mm -hmm. to wait till the election. We would be happy mm -hmm. if you left today. Um, but it's interesting that, you know, because I I, I kind of see it almost the opposite. I think if if Trump, if they steal the election from Trump and again, we're all assuming that he's going to be the candidate. It looks that way. Uh, then, you know, I feel like uh the conservatives would be the ones that would be more likely, I hope anyway, to respond rationally and 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 do their best to to in a nonviolent way to try to secede. I mean, there's already been talk of Northern California, the conservatives seceding, and 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 uh, uh, Texas and places in like Oregon. That. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, whereas if Trump wins. You know, we've seen it time and again. It's the progressives and the liberals who do their peaceful, you know, uh, demonstrations where they kill people, destroy property, light fires, you know, that that kind of thing. So I just, uh, I mean, I will admit I've had some uh, conservatives, uh, you know, Trump supporters who have told me off record that you know, if they steal it from Trump again, quote, unquote, we're taking up arms. And of course, I've told them, whatever you do, please don't do that. This is, you know, country such as it is, you know, does not need to be hurtled into a civil war. And for my study of the Luciferian elite and their agenda, that's exactly what they want. That's what they've been fomenting. They've got to bring America down so that they can have the new world order come in and rescue us. And, and we would be begging to sign on to this one world uh, system. So they're trying to create a civil war. And I don't think we've ever been more divided than we are today. So I just, I struggle to see whichever way it goes, assuming we even have an election, because there is a scenario under which <laughs> we don't have a an election, right? Um, but assuming we get there, I just feel like it's a powder keg. And I, er, I'm urging conservatives to, you know, to be rational, because the bottom line is, you know, if the Lord tarries is coming, we know 
that the Luciferian agenda, well-documented, you know, leaked documents, their own white papers, they are striving to have a, America be part of a one-world government by the end of the 2020s. They've been saying that for over 100 years. I have a whole chapter on that in uh, Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2. Uh, so if the Lord tarries is coming, it's a bit like kicking against the goads to try to think that somehow, you know, you know our AR-15s and our buddies in the Texas Hill Country can somehow come against the mightiest military in the world and 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 prevent it. But again, I, I know there's just a lot of complexities there, uh, you know. But but you agree that um, this country is ripe for some kind of, I think you said, you know, response or event unlike we've had in the last 150 years. Yeah, and and I I really don't think that the military is going to be something that the government can really count on, or even local law enforcement. Um, but you're right. I I so that that's a that's a scenario if Trump wins or Trump Trump loses. Um, and I'm I'm very much on board with you in the sense that we may not even have the opportunity for an election because of some crisis that happens prior to that, that either requires mail-in ballots or. Um, is postponed altogether because of the scenario that's playing out. And, um, you know, I think for that to be the thing about 2020 is I just think they played their hand. So obviously that that time um, thinking that Trump would go away at some point or they'd be able to just remove him altogether from the scenario. Um, it seems uh, they 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 played they showed their hand then and now they can't. I don't know if they're going to be able to use that same those same tactics again here in 2024. And they might be able to use them in certain places where the Democ Democrats control everything already. You know, certain places in California yeah. and say Philadelphia and others. But um, I, I think at large, you know, played the the swing states that were up, up for grabs in um, 2020 with Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, and um, Wisconsin, I think it was Michigan, or Michigan, Wisconsin. one of the, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think, I think they're not going to be able to do that again. And I think the state legislatures um, of those states, if they're Republican and they're listening to this, I would, I would demand some kind of guarantee that the votes are counted that day. Um, some kind of, uh, um, you know, in, in election uh, integrity process that they have. And I know in Texas, that's been on a hot and but hot button issue here. Um, but there there has to be some kind of call into account if there is a state that's going to call it that and say, hey, we we don't have everything that the the poll workers have to go home and get their eight hours of sleep, whatever the case is. I think they I think that should immediately um, be squashed and say, nope, nope, you're staying. We're in, we're in that would sh that should invite in more eyes to watch what they're doing to, to make sure that, you know, these these. Um, pallet or these cases of ballots just don't you know mysteriously show up in the middle of the night you know that were hidden under tables or whatever mm -hmm. so i think i think each of those states though like georgia has had a lot of a lot of drama a lot of things have been exposed since then so we've learned a lot of lessons from 2020 and i don't it's going to have to be something different if they're going to try and steal this next election that's all i'm saying is it's going to have to be something different that either stops the election altogether or postpones it or such a crisis that um, they can justifiably say we have we cannot have people lining up at polls because disease X or whatever is actually killing people. Unlike the previous pandemic, you know this this is actually going to be a very high mortality event versus what we saw in the past. So yeah, there are any number of things and that could happen, real or provocateur, uh, not just a, a bio uh, virus weapon of some kind. That you could have some terrorist attack. You could have. Uh, uh, you know, an economic collapse. Uh, there's just a lot happening, weather, uh, you know, an attack from a foreign enemy. I mean, that's not, I mean, this thing that's happening, and of course, you're a military uh, guy, so you've got, you know, an even better perspective on it. But all of these wars that you talked about at the outset that are going on, it, it wouldn't take much to, for that to escalate, you know, very, very quickly. But, uh, I, you know, I want to, keep talking politics for just a little bit longer. I'm, I'm an easy mark for a political discussion. Uh, plus, it's my show, so I can talk about whatever I want. But um, I, I would be curious your perspective on people ask me all the time, uh, you know, why are conservatives giving Trump a pass on 
the gene-altering bioinjections, which he was single-handedly responsible for rolling out and continues to defend. And also, even before that, you know, launching the uh, emergency declaration on uh, Friday the 13th in March of 20, uh, whatever it was, 20, um, that really had a ripple effect all the way through the Biden administration until Biden finally lifted it. Um, I mean, what what would you say to conservatives? Uh, and I think I know one answer that you, you might give, because a lot of uh, people say this, but I'm just curious. I mean, I get that it's a messy, it's complex. You can't put, you know, it's not an all or nothing game. It's like, it's not like Republicans are perfect and they do a no wrong and Democrats are evil and they do no right. I, I get that. But to me, that that vaccine was such a deadly, horrific mm -hmm. part of the big picture. We know I documented in Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume One, that it was pre-planned for 22 years in advance. This was, you know, not organic at all. They absolutely wanted to inject millions of people around the world with this thing. Uh, what do you say to conservatives that question how anyone could support a president who did that? Well, I, I think he was um well i'd say naivete um that that he went into this position i mean if you think back to tw the night of the election night of 2016 i mean he was surprised he won um and, and i think everybody was shocked that hillary didn't win it was just presumed that she would and so going forward from that day forward you see all the missteps with bringing people into his administration who weren't really his friends or had other agendas or were unhinged in other ways but he he had so much against him at that beginning. He was just like, whoever is going to be my, whoever's not against me, I'll call friend. That doesn't mean that's their, they're your friends. So going into 2020 with uh, Fauci and, and the news that he got, I think Senator Cotton briefed him in January of 20 of what was going on in China. I think he was, um, he found out in, in January the 20th, somewhere in the 20th, around the 20th. But I I, I just think he, he put too much trust into uh, people like Fauci, who he may or may not have had a, you know, knowledgeable relationship with prior. He probably knew he was who he was by name. And and I don't know how much he knew of him or how much he trusted him. But you can see as this thing progresses, as he was doing these weekly, was it weekly or daily news presses, news briefers daily. with uh, the medical teams coming out in March and in April. I think you could start to see his he's beginning to not trust um some of these folks that were being touted as the experts and then touting the the vaccine in and of itself he had so much pressure on him to come up with some kind of solution because he knew they were using this crisis to hang him hang him with it um and i think he was it was a, a probably a mixture of desperation and, and naivete uh with regards to his response in that now I would say this time around he's much much the wiser giving everything that's happened i mean the raid on mar-a-lago the, I mean, the, um, all the hoaxes and the, uh, indictments and the, I mean, they, they've thrown everything at him, but the kitchen sink. And I think he is much more streetwise going into it. If, if he wins again this time, but you know, if you think about it in a big picture kind of way, though, if you go back to nine 11, um, prior to nine 11, um, we had, it seems like every operation, everything the United States government tries to focus on in terms of the next emergency, the next big thing, it's like completely opposite. So prior to 9-11, four months prior to that, we had Operation, um, oh gosh, what was it called? Um, Operation Dark Winter. That oh, was right. like May, yeah. June time frame. And that was a, uh, I think that was a smallpox outbreak. And then what happens? We have an Islamic terrorist attack that that takes down four planes, whatever you want to call it. It was some com something completely different from a smallpox outbreak. Mm -hmm. And then so we focus on that. And then we focus on creating a war. We, we launch our war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Those things escalate. Then what happens? The next big thing is Hurricane Katrina. Man, huge natural disaster. That was a black eye for the Bush administration. So then we put all of our eggs and resources into beefing up FEMA and, and all of our natural or our national emergency responses. And then what's the next big thing that happens? Well, it's a mortgage crisis. Well, then that goes back to the 90s and the Fannie Mae or the Frank Dodd Act, you know? Uh, and so now it seems like every crisis is always something very different. Uh, and we're never prepared for what actually happens, is about to happen. It's like the old saying in, in the military that generals always wanna fight the last war 
Mm. And I think that that's always been our problem, at least for the last 20 years. And that's how the new world order, the elite, whoever you want to call it, when they orchestrate these things, it's always to catch us off guard. And so it's always designed to have our attention focused over here. And then this other thing happens. And then they use that crisis to rapidly expedite some other initiative, whether it's the Patriot Act, uh, whether it's these omnibus bailout, you know, trillion dollar bailouts, or it's the COVID vaccine. It's always these things that are rolled out the last second because we've had our attention way over here looking at this. It's, It's very much like an illusion, a magic act. Yeah, you know, you go to yeah, a, a magic yeah, look, show and you have the yeah, you know, there's stages yeah, look, to the illusion. Yeah, look at my right hand while my left hand is pulling the dove out of my pocket or something. You know, yeah, yeah. no, I, I get that, but um, but I, I I'm not I'm not wholly satisfied with that answer. I th- I hope you're right. I do think that you know, let's be clear, what they're doing to Trump now is completely un-American, unconstitutional. It's ungodly. And I don't care if you hate Trump or love Trump, no no political opponent in America should be arrested uh, the way they're doing him for Trump, you know, no pun intended, trumped up charges. But so so let's say it does come down to naivete and, um, you know, didn't think he was going to win. So he was rushed. Um, you know, he one of the one of the big selling points of Trump that people love about him and what has made him successful in the business world. Now, granted, it was the porn and gambling industry, but he was successful in the business world never, nevertheless, is that he he claims to say to do what he's going to say. I mean, to say what he's going to do. I'm going to do this, and you can count on it. Other people promise that I make it happen. He promised to drain the swamp, so he had some sense of, hey, if I win, I don't want to put these people in my administration, and yet he put 67 members of the Council on Foreign Relations, either in his cabinet or judicial appointments. Um, so I just, and then, but okay, so let's say he, he, it would be one thing if he regretted the vaccine, but given all the evidence now, and all any thinking person, doctors, scientists, virologists, everyone else out there admitting worldwide that this thing is dangerous as can be, he's still out there touting it. How do you how do you excuse that, that he's still, it's not like he says, you know what, they played me, I blew it, but I promise next time I'm not going to listen to these bad advisors that were trying to bring me down. Uh, he still thinks that every American ought to get eight shots in spite of the results. How would we respond to that? No, I mean, first, I mean, first we have to recognize and be honest with ourselves that he is a narcissist, <laughs> right? I mean, he is. I mean, he is the epitome of one really yeah, yeah. and he's had to be uh in the way that he's made his business and and just his personality um but you know i would argue that if you put any other president in that situation um bush uh the clintons um um you know whatever i i don't i don't think they would have necessarily done anything different considering the amount of global pressure and international uh, pressure and the uh, media and all the other pressures that were put on him to come up with some kind of solution. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, yeah, I, agree. This is all, I mean, that, this is all hindsight, t- this is water on the bridge for me at this point, but you're right. He, I think he's too narcissistic to come out and say that he was actually wrong. Um, well, that's a great point but, that any other president probably would have done the same thing. Uh, and I agree on the narcissism. I have a whole chapter on the narcissism academic, <laughs> and I have three pages of Trump tweets that just, if they weren't so sad, you know, would be funny when you look at some of his tweets. I mean, classic narcissism. But I guess the the the, the million dollar question is going forward. If if you're asking us to put our you Trump are asking us to put our faith in you this time, um, you know, how do we know? you've changed. I mean, that it's one thing to make a mistake, right? We all make mistakes. But in general, in, in life, when your mistake, however innocent it might have been, causes the deaths of millions of people, you kind of don't get a second chance. It's kind of like, you know, I'm sorry, the, the, the consequences were so grave that we can't risk doing that again. So given that the way that the world is headed you know, whoever wins the presidency, again, assuming we have won an election uh, in 2024, is probably going to be presiding over even worse unsettling times and crises and so forth. What confidence do we have that this uh, 
president who, as you've and many others have pointed out, is is has narcissistic tendencies at the least, if not being the quintessential poster child for narcissism, is going to choose wise decisions that aren't going to result in tragedy. Well, for me, it, it's going to depend on who he selects as his VP. And I've heard names thrown out there, but one of the names that I've, I'm interested in to see if this actually pans out is if it if it's Tucker Carlson. Interesting. Now, if Tucker if Tucker Carlson becomes his VP, and um, you know that guy is uh, a wealth of just common sense and just being able to speak his mind, um, if he has somebody like that next to him giving him counsel um rather than say a mike pence you know or yeah. some other kind of this wishy-washy politician um that that would instill a little bit of confidence in yeah. going forward now again that's a if we have an election mm-hmm. b if they don't figure out some way that to rig it to to stop it to to mess it up muck it up some way then then if he is the actual if the election happens and he actually becomes a president, if he selects somebody like Tucker Carlson, um, then I, I would have a little bit more confidence in his uh, his uh, judgment. But also, I think going forward, he's much, much the wiser now, having gone through everything that he's done, you know, been subjected to with regards to these court cases and the the uh, raid on his house. The I mean, just the way they've treated him. Um, so, yeah, he's not, you know. I, he sees himself as less invincible, I hope, because he, you know, he has been completely, you know, uh, just attacked and, and, and he's shown to be vulnerable, uh, you know, so I, I think I think he, he's got to be wise. He's got to not underestimate the enemy anymore. But I don't, you know, he hasn't wised up on the vaccine. And that, that's my issue and that's more of an intellectual you know analytical logical intelligence quotient that concerns me but you're right i mean you know again we're making a lot of assumptions here let's assume that elections are sacrosanct and they actually matter our vote matters if we've got trump versus biden or someone biden-esque clearly trump is the better option we all agree on that his the platform is is better um and uh, there are certain key things, uh, especially if we're at war, it's, it, I think, better to have a Republican at the helm, um, you, th- those types of things. But, I, you know, and man, I, man, if Tucker were the guy, boy, that uh, to me, it's if if it gets to the election and Tucker's his running mate, it's a slam dunk. I mean, there's no way they could, you know, steal it. And so what would concern me there is that since they know they can't steal it, uh, they preempt it. And I think one scenario mm-hmm. is that Trump is somehow done away with before the election. Either they get enough of these courts and all these lost uh, trials that he's in that, you know, that we know they pay off judges and juries. Uh, they just find a way to convict him. And and then it becomes a constitutional crisis. And, you know, I don't have any faith in the Supreme Court when, you know, uh, we supposedly have a, a six person um, supermajority yet five of the nine just recently enshrined the fact that the unborn are not american citizens and do not have the right to life liberty and pursuit of justice a pursuit of happiness mm-hmm. uh, i don't have any confidence that they would rule in trump's favor if in fact they as i believe they are controlled and and the goal of the big picture puppet masters is to bring america down uh, they don't want trump in there and so I think we see that they're trying everything they possibly can to keep him from getting in there. But the problem is they're kicking against the goads because the American people love him and want him. And more and more, as you said, are waking up. They're waking up to their ploys, to their techniques, uh, to the rigged elections. It's just becoming harder and harder for this magic show to continue. Uh, So I I think, I think it's just going to be very interesting, but uh, you know, we we agree on a lot more than we may disagree on the subtleties of some of the inner workings of it and kind of uh, you know, the, the right left paradigm. But I, I'm with you on uh, on most of that stuff. So anything else you want to say about Trump before I shift gears real quick? Just the last thing. I think for Trump to admit any fault and and you and I would attribute a lot of his personality to narcissism. But I think there's one other thing kind of undergirding all that is that anything that he says 
where he admits wrongdoing, they will use that to hang him with it. They will hang him with whatever he says. So he that's probably what also um, is driving his maybe his silence on the issue. I just think that anything he says, um, if he admits guilt in this or admits wrongdoing or he admits any kind of failing to uh, appreciate the the toxicity of this this um, mRNA uh, chemistry experiment, then they he knows that they're just going to turn around and use that to hang him. And they're going to hang him with that whole statement. So they'll yeah. say, oh, you're you're responsible for millions of deaths. And so I think for him is just to play, act like, you know, he it's still good. And because that's what the mainstream media and the rest of those clowns are saying. So he's not trying to kick over that hornet's nest yet. Yeah, that's a great point. I, that's a great analogy too, kicking over the hornet's nest. You know, it it's a lose-lose situation for him, for sure, uh, no matter which what he it takes. But it just seems to me, especially a man with his uh, fight, you know, he, he's got he's certainly not afraid to call people out and talk about the size of their private parts. And I mean, he's never been one to shy away <laughs> from, you know, ugly insults, calling reporters fat and picking on crippled people. I mean, I don't know why he wouldn't, and his advisors are a lot smarter than I am, but it just seems like one approach would be the blame it on Fauci approach. Just come right out and say, okay, America, I was lied to. I was deceived. You know, mm -hmm. I, you know, uh, you know, yes, I take responsibility for issuing the, you know, the trillions of dollars to Operation Warp Speed and, and handpicking the guy from Monsanto to run it. I mean, not Monsanto, uh, Moderna. But uh, but look, I was lied to. And so I, I had to deal with the information I had, but I was blatantly lied to. Fauci lied, people died. That that would be my mantra and shift the blame. And, and then he could maybe have a better chance of escaping you know, kicking the hornet's nest, which I totally get, and yet still appeal to uh, more conservatives. Because there are, a, a, I think, a, a statistically significant number of conservatives who are will not support Trump simply because of this issue. They've lost loved ones. They've seen their own personal lives affected by it. So, uh, I, I'm not, you know, it's not my place to second guess. And, and again, these politicians know how to play the game a lot better than I do, but I just, I would like to see him on that issue. Dis, whether he, I'm not saying take the blame. I get, I don't think he deserves the blame. I think, you know, I do, I've never said that he's controlled, uh, you know, I mean that he's wittingly controlled. I think he's unwittingly controlled. And so I'm not saying take the blame. I'm just saying, stop pushing the backs. I mean, let's, yeah, let, yeah. let's, let's, you know, stop championing it, but yeah, great stuff. I, I really love these discussions. It gives people a lot to think about, but uh, I know we've spent a, a, a lot of time on politics, but just uh, real quickly, you know, in terms of um, military, which is another real area of expertise for you. Um, obviously a lot of people talked about our woke military there's still great men and women, patriotic, God-fearing men and women who love this country, have moral values, and are trying to do what's best for our country. But it just seems like at the top, it's hard to trust our leadership. Um, how do you feel about the readiness of the American military? Should this thing escalate into a broader global conflict? I think we're doomed. <laughs> well, no, don't seriously. <laughs> No, I, no I mean, honestly, I mean, so some of the scenarios I've been looking at have been, okay, let's, we know that um, this election is consequential, not just to Americans, but also to other leaders around the world, because they're going to base their actions this year based on whoever's going to win this coming election. And you have issues like China wanting to reunify themselves forcefully with Taiwan. You have the issue with uh, Russia um really finishing i think this year will be the year they finish ukraine one way or the other um they may force ukraine to they may sue, sue or ukraine may sue for peace and then part of that uh part of that um criteria that they'll that russia will agree with is that the Zelensky government has got to step down completely abandon or you know dismantle their their current structure and um turn it over to somebody that's you know uh, more russian friendly or whatever um but then there's also the outset that russia could expand this thing into the balkans or to um the baltic states and and um you know this could this could escalate pretty wildly if a stray missile goes uh, you know falls into nato territory for whatever reason 
um, you know, somebody triggers Article Five, and then there's a response in that, and then there's World War Three, you know, mm-hmm. or um, you look at what's just recently happening with um, between um, Iran launching attacks into Iraq on U.S. forces there, and also into the Kurdish territory, as well as uh, hitting places in Pakistan. So Iran is stirring the the hornet's nest over in that part of the world as well. Um, I mean, there are so many places where things in this world could just um, kick off just, I mean, in the blink of an eye, things could go sideways very fast. Mm. And I love this quote from, um, gosh, um, he's a, um, he was talking about World War One, And um, one of the things he said um, that he was talking about the the suddenness of World War One, And um, oh, let me find it real quick. I don't know if you want to. Yeah. No worries, yeah. So it went from improbable to inevitable uh, without going through, or impossible to inevitable without ever going through improbable, talking about the speed at which World War I kicked off. And if you think about, um, if you think about the uh, incredible, ridiculous i say ridiculous um if you think about the unbelievable or impossible scenario in which world war one started it did seem impossible that some no name archduke franz ferdinand gets killed i mean he's a nobody he's really a nobody you know if he hadn't died nobody would know who he was (laughs) um he some you know hungarian austrian nobility uh low-level guy gets assassinated in serbia and then that somehow drags in Russia to back Serbia. And then you've got Germany going, siding with uh, Hungary, Austria-Hungary, the Hungarian Empire. And then next thing you know, France and Germany, everybody's getting pulled in. And within like 30 days, this just this kicks off into this war that it's the guy, the writer is like, it goes from impossible to inevitable without ever going through improbable. And next thing you know, four years later, you know, millions of people have died. <laughs> and so... Is as impossible as that scenario seemed. If you were trying to describe how World War One was going to start to somebody prior to World War One, they would have laughed at you and they said, "That's that's impossible. That would never happen." Well, here we are in a day and age where there are active conflicts all over the world, from from Israel Gaza all the way over to Pakistan and Iran, and you've got China chomping at the bit to take Taiwan because if they take Taiwan, they control all of those uh, computer processing places, they're, mm-hmm. they're chip makers. Uh, and, and really the world is going to be beholden to China for that, for that technology, because Taiwan has the, has all the clean rooms. I mean, they have the, the, really the, the monopoly on that particular market of technology. Um, so I, that that's part and parcel why I think China wants Taiwan so badly. Mm-hmm. Their, China's economy is beginning to falter. Evergreen, you know, this massive uh, real estate uh, conglomerate, whatever, collapsing. They have these all these cities there that are basically empty, that they're just they're paying these con- contractors to build these places um, to get, you know, to to have money to pay them to to, to kind of generate and stimulate their economy. But nobody's living in these cities or empty yeah, they're ghost towns. Um, yeah. And they're, they have a huge geriatric population that it's only going to get worse as the decade goes on. Um, I think by 2050, like 60% of their population is going to be geriatric. So they they know they have a small window of time to be able to do the things that they want to do if they're going to do them. Hmm. Um, Russia's economy is teetering. Um, you know, BRICS is now threatening to de-dollarize most of the world. Um, you've got the guy in Argentina, Javier, I can't say his last name, Malaya or Malar or something, pulling out of BRICS. And then he's stirring the pot with his anti-socialist rhetoric, which... You know, his neighbor in Brazil, you know, they've just elected a socialist or, you know, I say election with air quotes. Um, you know, he his government is in, is in shambles. I mean, I don't really I don't see the government in Brazil lasting throughout the year myself, but I think they're going to have a lot of issues. So everywhere you go in the world, things are destabilized like crazy. And if we think about World War One as a, as a model of how things can go sideways very, very quickly and how but how stable the world was relatively speaking, we're 10 times worse than that now, 20 times worse than that. And so I I have no confidence in this year going forward without some huge conflict kicking off um, and triggering just a domino effect of other things happening. Yeah. You know, I've written extensively about the Luciferian 
agenda, the conspiracy, the grand conspiracy, uh, three volumes on it. But you know, the, the 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 ironic thing is, when things really begin to fall apart and usher in the new world order, it's quite likely not to be because the Luciferian elite, you know, institute a plan and start the ball rolling. It could be something completely unforeseen, even by them. Because, you know, they're not omniscient, they're not omnipotent. And as you said, all it takes is one stray missile or one, you know, crazy move by some crazy world leader who goes off script from the Luciferian agenda. And just like that, we're, you know, we're in chaos. Um, you mentioned the, the, a guy from Argentina, uh, Javier Malay, I think is how you say it. Uh, what's your take on him? Because I've got people suggesting that he may be a good guy. I'm skeptical. Uh, we talked about him on our show yesterday. Uh, are you? Where do you see him fitting into this? Uh, you know, he's he's kind of a wild card to me because he's kind of like a Trump, you know, 2016 time frame. You know, he gets elected. Nobody thought he was going to win. And whatever, he has the majority. And now he's the prime minister. And he went over to the World Economic Forum. And he's, you know, really bashing socialism and, and really speaking truth to power there about, the 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 what socialism will bring and you know he pulled out of i think my understanding is he pulled out of bricks so he pulled out argentina out of bricks because yeah. they were set to to join on january 1st and so um i i i don't know he fires a lot of his people in the government which i wish trump had done that uh you know but i i guess you know my take would be he we like what he's saying and what he's doing. It resonates with us, but I'm a little cautious to to go all in with him yet. I think time will tell. I just yeah. I'm so skeptical, maybe too skeptical. I don't know. Uh, but then again, uh, you know, as someone has said, you know, if you're not paranoid by now, it's probably too late for you. I mean, they're just if you can't, <laughs> you can't see it uh, coming, uh, something's uh, something's the matter. But uh, bottom line is, our faith, of course, is in the Lord. Um, we we don't put our faith in. Uh, our military. I'm thankful that we live in America. I'd rather live here right now than, you know, North Korea, right? Uh, and so praise God that we live in a country that God's fingerprints have been all over for many years. Uh, unfortunately, Satan's fingerprints have been all over him as well. Uh, but uh, all of this, you know, as I've said many times, when things are uh, really falling apart, then we need to remember that from God's perspective, they're really coming together uh, the way God uh, wants them to. Um, one comment on NATO and Turkey and Article 5. I've I've been puzzled throughout this whole Ukrainian war as to why uh, NATO still allows Turkey to be part of the alliance. I don't know why they don't kick them out, but I part of me thinks it's precisely because the Luciferians who really are trying to accomplish their goal, they need Turkey in there because of Article 5 so that when Turkey or, you know, does something that provokes a response, even though we, you know, we don't agree with Erdogan and he's doing a lot of things that are anti-West, uh, technically by letter of the law, because they're part of NATO, you know, we've got to respond. I mean, that's just speculation, but, uh, you know, Erdogan is, uh, is no friend of democracy. He said that himself. I cite him in my book. Uh, by the way, yesterday on the program, someone emailed me. I, I, my thoughts got ahead of my mouth, which happens all the time. And I mistakenly said Zelensky when I meant Erdogan, uh, quoting the, you know, democracy is like a train. It'll serve you to, to get to where you're going, but then you need to get off, you know, and that, that's kind of way the way he views democracy. But um, real quick, what's your take on Turkey? I mean, I, that just seems so such a disconnect between NATO and Turkey. I don't understand it. Um, yeah, I think Turkey is ultimately going to pull out of NATO or it's going to be kicked out of NATO one way or the other, um, whichever happens. I think their their departure from NATO is is pretty obvious by this point. But um, during Ukraine-Russia conflict, we saw the world, at least the West, really turn against Russia, try to demonetize them, de you know, everything, um, de-platform them, pull them off of every, you know, uh, media outlet, pull, every, you know, Anything that was either neutral or pro-Russian was shut down. Um, so I think that um, we drove Russia into the arms of China, who I think is also dragging along Turkey with them, whether they're going willingly or, or begrudgingly. Um, but I think we're seeing that Gog-Magog axis beginning to form. 
Um, now, I think the the really the nail in the coffin for that relationship between Turkey and, and NATO will be Israel-Gaza and this conflict that whether um, Israel carries out some type of Isaiah 17 event where Damascus, they strike Damascus, some, something will trigger this departure from take Turkey and they will basically flip sides, join with Russia and Iran, and that will be the political axis going forward, you know, from whatever the point is. Yeah. Um, but but NATO, in my opinion, NATO is dead. Um, it, it's been dead for a, for a while now. I, th- I think the fact that that Russia has been able to do whatever they needed to do in Ukraine or wanted to do without any type of NATO was like, I don't want to touch that hot potato. I don't want anything to do with that. You know, yeah. uh, however, you know, uh, 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 there's a quote here from General um, Sher- Sir, Sir Richard Sheriff. He was a formerly NATO second most senior military officer at um, talking about Russia, he said, everyone surely agrees that we would be ready to go to war to defend Britain's borders. Well, as a NATO member, Britain's borders are now in Latvia. <laughs> so uh, I think the fact that NATO was created for the sole purpose to prevent Soviet expansion, military expansion, and here is Russia expanding um, uh, and them not doing anything, I think it shows uh, shows their true colors. Mm-hmm. Um, for, but but also I would say too that that I think that NATO is going to be uh, repurposed and re- restructured to to become the um, a European army, European defense force, whatever you want to call it, something that something along those lines. They're going to restructure it so that it's no longer NATO. It's going to be um, probably some type of European defense force is going to be the new the new name for it or something. But It'll, they'll take that outline for it in the structure and the supply chain, the logistics structure and the bases and everything else. And they'll start to build on that as well. So I think there's uh, plenty of unemployment uh, in the 20 to 40 range in Europe uh, to be able to have young people willing to sign up for a paycheck mm-hmm. and join whatever this thing ends up becoming. But they probably are going to want to remove the the um, the ball and chain, which is quickly becoming the United States. And so if Trump comes in, I see this being expedited. Um, I think if Trump doesn't win, uh, I think they're still going to leave because I think they saw the the fiasco with our departure in Afghanistan, uh, the lack of communication that our that we've had with them in terms of uh, being NATO partners. Um, it was just a disaster, any way you want to measure it. Um, and then other things that have happened, especially with Ukraine. I think they're they're going to start relooking at NATO and 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 repurpose it into something else. Yeah. Wow. Uh, great stuff. Great. I totally agree. I think Turkey's days with NATO are short-lived. Uh, we know biblically that Turkey is part of the Gog-Magog alliance, uh, and and so it just it's hard to see uh, how that could happen with them being, uh, you know, part of a a functioning NATO. Uh, and I think you're right. The axis is going to shift to Turkey, Iran, Russia, that that type of thing. We could talk forever, but I, you've already given me more time than uh, I asked for, <laughs> so I appreciate that. Uh, great stuff. Great discussion about Trump. I appreciate you letting me share some of my more cynical perspective on it. But, uh, uh, you know, it's it's really, you know, really a great, healthy uh, discussion. But as always, you know, we, we want to end with a word of encouragement that, uh, folks, you know, this this is not to, to discourage you or to depress you or certainly not to engender fear. Fear is not of the Lord. We're never to be scared, but we are to be prepared. But it's great to talk to brothers in the Lord like uh, Pete, who have a biblical worldview and also have a wealth of knowledge and experience and expertise in geopolitical uh, you know, areas, and uh, and just kind of think through some of the things that may be uh, coming down the pike. It's, it's, it's exciting. I mean, I I don't remember where I first heard this, but I, I love it. I'm not really looking so much at the signs anymore as I am listening for the shout. I mean, I think that's how close we are uh, to the great uh, return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Pete, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, folks, thanks for listening. Uh, spread the word uh, and, uh, you know, stay tuned to Not By Works. Again, we've got a great uh, guest again tomorrow with Alex Newman and all kinds of great resources at notbyworks.org. Uh, check out uh, Pete Garcia's website, rev310.net, and uh, check out his travel schedule. He's got a lot of events coming up, uh, some things in Australia and in the Gulf Coast and so forth, uh, but stay tuned in with him. So God bless everyone and have a great rest of the week.